Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our Odd Pod podcast. A podcast dedicated to the odd, the macabre, and everything in between. And everything in between, including slamming things down on the desk that the microphone's on. Did I do that? I did that just now. The keyboard. Do better. I'll try, I guess. Actually, I'm lying. I probably won't do better because this week's like episode's a little short. That's fine because we've had a week. Yeah, we've had a whole week to do it. So why wouldn't it no, be it's short? Been you a know? week. Oh, it's been a week. Yeah, it's been a week. I guess. Merlin got sick. Our yes. doggy. I got sick. Then Merlin got much more sick to upstage me. Yeah, he was um, like. I'm not getting paid enough attention to let me bust out in a rash and yeah. keep my mom up all night so she can Big brush ass me. rash. Like, just, God, it was awful. Anyway, that's how we've been doing. He's fine now, by the way, if you're wondering. Uh, I guess it was just allergies because the shit they gave him for allergies it worked. worked. But he was real dramatic about it for about 12 hours. Yeah, it did not look comfortable. And then he caught up on that sleep the next day. Ooh. Anyway, the that makes one good. of us. All right. I'll catch up on all my sleep when I don't need to and just perpetuate the problem. <laughs> I um, am unreasonably exhausted. So this week, I kind of, I don't know, man. I, was, I, I still don't know what we're talking about. In a search for the topic, I came across something. It's not necessarily odd. Is it macabre? It's a little macabre, okay. I guess. Um, but most of it is just history. I love history. uh, So you just have to bear with me um, as I mostly talk about history with a little bit of macabre. And it's also odd. It's just like, I don't know. You'll see. Is it odd adjacent? It's odd adjacent. It's like um, kind of like some uh, Christian uh, mythology, sort of. This is the all-encompassing everything in between part. Oh yeah, I forgot we do have that. That's like it's more of a disclaimer than a tagline, really. Uh, so yeah, I'm talking about a fella oh. by the name of Juan Jose de Padilla. Yeah. Yep. That's my uncle. Uh, he was a Franciscan monk guy, a friar, I guess. A friar. Um, is he like the guy on Van Helsing? He goes around. He's like, I'm just a friar. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, that character's based on him. Is it really? No, 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 no. Oh. I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyway, I'm just going to get into it because I don't really know how to explain what it's about without giving away, like, you know, everything. It's like a te- like a punchline at the end. It'd be like a five-minute podcast. I'd be like, well, this is what it's about. Actually, it's in the first paragraph. Let me just get to it. According to the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church, the corpses of certain venerable people venerable those are people that have attained a certain degree of sanctity but not been fully uh beatified or canonized that's what venerable means yes it's way too venerable close to, like, i'm sorry venerable okay yeah not venereal <laughs> venerable. Like, that's a little bit too close but they never decompose or decay Ooh. so they are incorruptible uh, it's thought that certain individuals and objects can escape the ravages of time because of the holiness inherent within them. Is this like when they stop eating for like 40-something days? I do not know. Okay. They're kind of protected. For an episode. They're kind of protected by divine power. 
Um, yeah. Incorruptibility is an important attribute of saintliness. Is this like which the is guy? A, apparently, a real word. Is this like the guy that they thought was a statue, but it really was a corpse? I don't know. <laughs> oh man. Okay. But it only counts if it occurs naturally. Okay. I don't think that that's the guy because you'll we'll get into why. I'll have to look put that into Google and see what pops up. But uh, mummification and embalming doesn't count. So it has to be like a natural immunity to decay. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. This is, uh, is this done purposefully or it's a naturally thing that occurs? Well, it's a thing that supposedly happens to the bodies of saints. Right, but like naturally or on purposefully? It would have to be naturally. Okay. Um... It's supposedly they're so holy that they don't rot, basically. Right. Okay, okay, okay. On top of everything, incorruptible corpses don't smell of death. Okay. Instead, they're said to produce a pleasant kind of floral scent. Uh, one of the best, mostly because it's one of the few American examples of an incorruptible corpse, is that of Padre Padilla in the Isleta Pueblo of New Mexico. Wait, New Mexico? Yep. You know, you know how, like, um, milk? Will sometimes smell sweet when it's spoiled. Uh, I did not know that, but I guess that's the thing. Yeah, um, it's still decay. Interesting. Well, I mean, like, this is all, this isn't a thing that really happens, right? I mean, this is just like a thing that, that people believe happens. Is this is like a faith thing. Sometimes people decay a little bit better than other people. But this dude was born in Andalusia. Alabama? You would think so, right? No, I'm pretty sure it's in Toledo, Spain. Because <laughs> uh, when I saw Andalusia, I was like, Andalusia was not around in the 1500s. <laughs> um, oh, the mid-1700s. The first colony. My dates are wrong. No, no, they're not. Okay, different guy. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Um, like mid-podcast, I did this whole thing wrong. <laughs> uh, I got two people confused that are not the same person uh okay we'll get into it um Juan de Padilla was a soldier before he became a Franciscan friar I'm not sure how he made that transition but he held several positions of authority in Mexico he was one of four Franciscans to accompany Francisco that's ironic Vasquez de <laughs> Coronado on his expedition to colonize New Mexico in 1540 that see did I say he was stabbed to death in the mid 1700s? Because that date can't be right. I'm, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm just gonna avoid dates from now yeah, on. Just keep... This was the expedition. This that happened was... in 1980. Yeah, this actually happened in 85. Um, <laughs> this was the expedition that was encouraged by reports of riches from the survivors of the previous and ill-fated Navarez expedition. You see, early in this this century, that this happened. <laughs> Spain established a rich colonial empire in the New World. Uh, It stretched from Mexico to Peru. Filling their treasury with gold and opening new lands for settlement, the northern frontier was only a few hundred miles north of Mexico, and beyond that were unknown lands. Unknown lands, such as Hawaii. Now, at some point after their arrival in the New World, tales of unimaginable riches in this unknown land, this is unknown land like north of Texas. Yeah, no, see, uh... What you guys don't know out there is there's actually a map right in front of us. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, that I actually forgot about because I'm looking at it now and I'm like, oh, New Zealand is like where it's supposed to be. Right. Right there good, on the map. Good thing too. <laughs> it's actually orbiting around Australia. So beyond that were the unknown lands. Now at some point after their arrival in the new world, tales of unimaginable riches in this unknown land uh, had entered into the imaginations of the Spanish. In fact, these tales lured Hernando, Hernando Cortez to Mexico in the year that he arrived in Mexico, <laughs> followed shortly thereafter by Parfilo de Narvaez to Florida. Anyway, I'm going to butcher so many names. You're doing a lot and better dates. than I do. Many expeditions ended in failure, but there was enough success to keep the dream of great wealth alive, right? It's like they're searching for like the, the fountain of youth. It's... Didn't they make like a Disney movie about this? The Fountain of Youth? No, the two dudes in like the City of Gold or whatever. What was it? There's a meme that it's like when the rogue and the bard go off on their own adventure. So the guy's like, Yeah. Uh, the stars haven't aligned. Nope, not aligned. Can't do it. Not today. What was, the guy plants the banjo. Yeah, <laughs> what's the name of that movie? No idea. That woman. Is the, it City of Gold? The, it's not called City of Gold. I don't even have my phone with me. The girl, she's got like the, the hippitiest of hips. I guess. The hippity of hips. You get your phone? Yeah. Give it to me. How do I type this in? What do you mean? I don't I don't know what I'm looking for. Uh two girls, one cup. Two dudes. One horse. <laughs> your phone's too big. Two dudes. <sighs> On it. Worldwood adventure. I don't know what to type in. Let me see. You're better at it than I am. Oh. Damn it, I bumped the mic. Let me see. Uh Two dudes looking in a hot tub for six feet apart because they're not gay. The city of gold. It's the road to El Dorado. The road to El Dorado. That movie. The road to El Dorado. Road to El Dorado lady. I want to see these hips. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She kind of looks like the lady, the Fern Gully lady, right? The fair, have you ever seen Fern Gully? No. Anyway, um, in the early six, so in this year that this happened, <laughs> Cabeza de Vaca and three companions were the sole survivors of the failed Navaez expedition. They arrived in Mexico City after eight years of wandering through what we now know as the American Southwest. That's got to be a terrible place to wander yeah. through. They arrived with a story of incredible lands to the north containing seven large cities. Yeah, to the north. With Great streets. weather. Go ahead. Great weather, good food, nice uh, nighttime town. Seven large cities with streets lined with goldsmith shops, houses of many stories, and doorways studded with emeralds and turquoise. Obviously, Antonio de Mendoza, Viceroy of New Spain, was anxious to explore this land to determine if the stories were true. Go down south, you've got scorpions. So in this particular year, he sent a small group to find out. Within a year of that year, the remains of the group returned with a sad testimony of their leader's death at the hands of hostile natives. However, his report also made mention of the seven cities of Cibola. What is Cibola? I have no idea. That's just what they called it. Though the ex... Though the report was sort of garbled and exaggerated, Viceroy Mendoza was convinced these cities existed. Despite uh, nobody. Confirmation bias. 
He promptly began planning an official expedition and chose his close friend, Francisco Vasquez de Coronado, to lead it. I'm fairly certain this is the dude that Coronado, California is named after. What? Wait, what? Right? Maybe not. But Maybe. Coronado there's had, no way to know. There's no way to know. Coronado had come to Mexico in 1535, allegedly, some or some year, uh, and though and through <laughs> and through his friendship with the viceroy and past successful missions, rapidly rose in status. I guess it's all about who you know, you know. My man. After serving, Coronado. After serving as a prominent member of the Mexico City Council, <laughs> that's funny. He was appointed. He was appointed governor of the northern frontier province of New Galicia. 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 Just kidding. I don't think that's it. I, I don't. <laughs> On January 6th of some year, Mendoza commissioned of a year. commissioned him uh, expedition commander and captain general of all the lands he might discover and claim for Spain. Captain general. Captain Ooh. general just seems like a rank that you're trying to make up. You know what I mean? He's like captain general sergeant. Ooh. What's better than a general? A captain general. Captain general sergeant to you, sir. Captain general sergeant, doctor professor. The Viceroy, however, counseled Coronado prior to his departure and cautioned him that the quest was to be a missionary undertaking, not one of military conquest. So he's basically like, hey, don't just murder everyone. Which don't I'm sure do that. <laughs> I'm sure made them super friendly and pleasant to any indigenous people that they encountered. Definitely. Of course. Right? Because there's yep. not a history of Europeans wronging the indigenous people of North America. Oh, of course. After being quickly organized, the expedition left Compostela, Compostela. On, on Mexico's west coast, February 23rd of a year. Of a year. Accompanying Coronado were Fray Marcos and several other priests, over 300 Spanish soldiers, several hundred native Mexican allies, and 1,500 stock animals. Additional supplies for the expedition were sent north by ship under the command of Captain Hernando de Alacón. Alacón. After reaching a city whose name I will not try to pronounce. What? No, please try to pronounce it. Culiacan. Uh, Culiacan. <laughs> Spot on. Culiacans. Uh, Coronado's impatient ass took 100 soldiers and marched swiftly ahead of the slower moving main force. On July 7th of a of the same year. Of the year. They arrived in Hawiku. That's south of I know, I know just what you're talking about. It's south of present day Gallup, New Mexico. Wait, <laughs> what is it? You got me. Gallup. And first of the fabled cities of Cibola. Cibola. But they were in for a major disappointment. Not not Doorways <laughs> encrusted with turquoise and gold. Rather than a golden city, they saw only a rock masonry pueblo occupied by Native Americans who were quite ready to defend their village. Also, golden turquoise? Right. Tacky. <laughs> after several allegedly... After s having several... Hold on. After allegedly having several... There we go. Unsuccessful attempts <laughs> at a peaceful negotiation... The invading Spaniards attacked and forced the villagers to abandon their home. Rude. Yeah. 
the pueblo, which was well stocked with food of an entire village They're of like, displaced people. We specifically people. asked you not to do this. Please. We specifically asked you not to do this. Now that all the people are gone, turns out there's plenty of food in the village. Weird. Became Coronado's headquarters through November. I had hoped that I would like this guy. Oh, no, there's no chance you're going to like this guy. Turns this out I hate him. Coronado is not the guy we're talking about in this episode. I know, but like I had hopes that like one person would not be like a huge piece of shit. Uh, the dude mentioned before, Frey Marcos... I don't think I mentioned it, but he was one of the guys whose tales of wealth and fortune had gotten so many people's hopes up. Uh, he was, because he was from like a different expedition, right? Right, right. Uh, he was ordered back to Mexico City because basically people were pissed because he's full of shit. Like what he described yeah, is not what they found. Yeah, I can't imagine. They were like golden turquoise. Ooh, so like you need to back. get the hell it's out of here Pueblo. or you're going to die. So while at Hawiku... Coronado <laughs> sent his captains out to explore the surrounding region. One of these captains ended up near modern-day Santa Fe. Ooh. It was here that they met a gentleman of the plains that, for some reason, they called the Turk, uh, who mesmerized them with his tales of an unbelievably rich land further to the east called Kivira. Did they have gold doors and turquoise? His stories renewed hope or renewed hopes among the Spaniards who were thirsty for that city of gold that had thus far eluded them. That's like uh, in Pocahontas, mm -hmm. not a great representation of natives. However, but they're like, all of the gold is right. corn. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of corn. Um, Unfortunately for them, <clears throat> it's corn and turquoise. Winter is coming. In Mexico? They were north of Mexico. At this point, somewhere near Santa Fe. That's Arizona. Yeah. Or New Mexico. I don't know. It gets cold in the desert. <laughs> so fur further exploration had to wait until spring had sprung. Spring had sprung. The army wintered with a group of friendly natives. However, the mood of their host soon turned to open hostility when, surprise, surprise, violations of hospitality and friendship were committed by the Spaniards. Can't. <laughs> Who would have thought? I know. A series of battles followed, resulting in the Spaniards killing the occupants of one Pueblo and forcing the abandonment of several others. They're just like real cream of the crop, these fellas. They're making me angry. On April 23rd of uh, the year after a of previously year. mentioned year, the entire <laughs> army set out for the, so, for the so far fabled city of Kivara, guided by the Turk. After 40 long days of travel... Coronado sent most of his men back to their winter camp and continued marching northeast with a small detachment. Upon arriving at Kivara, which is near modern-day Salina, Kansas, Kansas, they were once again disillusioned and disappointed. The villages before them were composed primarily of primitive grass huts. When pressed for an explanation, the Turk finally confessed that the story of Quivira was nothing more than a plot conceived by the Pueblo natives to lure the Spaniards out onto the plains <laughs> in hopes that they would become lost and eventually die of starvation. You know what? I ain't mad at it. So that is a hilarious twist, but it had to suck to be the Turk in that moment because Coronado is pissed. Well, he is, 
He's mad as hell at having been so gullible and so easily led astray. <laughs> Obviously, the soldiers executed the Turk. Mm. Coronado and his men then began the long walk of shame back home, having <laughs> failed their mission. Uh, with his dreams of fame and fortune shattered, Coronado finally made it back to Mexico City in the spring of the year after the year before. Although publicly scorned and discredited, he nonetheless resumed his position as governor of New Galicia. He's like, we're just not going to talk about that. He and his captains were subsequently called into account for their actions during the quest, and it was four more years before Coronado succeeded in clearing his family's name. <laughs> Ten years after his return, at the age of 42, he died in relative obscurity. Ooh, relative obscurity. It's like so obscure that he is in history you know like we get a brief summary of his history and that's it now padilla was the guardian of a con that's the guy we're supposed to be talking about he was the guardian of a convent in jalisco at the time the expedition began right okay so he gave up his high position in the church in order to become a missionary to the native people to the north so is he like doing some good I mean, like, he's a missionary to the people of the North. Well, it was his hope that uh, to educate and convert the people to the religion he taught. Okay, well, while I don't all the way agree with that, at least he was maybe being kind about it. Mm. Father Padilla was known to Tell be kind was... and gentle. Oh, good. Woo! Yet full of energy. He punished those who caused unpleasantness in Coronado's camp. Uh, at first, he worked with the Moqui Pueblos. He spent winter quarters with Coronado on the Rio Grande River, where the army rested before continuing the historic journey to the fabled Quivira. 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 Um, the next part is a bit of a repeat. Okay. But it's interesting because it answers a question I had earlier. Okay. At Picos, Coronado became interested in certain stories of a captive native prisoner held as a slave. We're going back in time a little bit. Are we? Who claimed that he was born on the far eastern border of the Great Plains. Okay. The Spaniards called him the Turk because of his closely shaved head with a small tuft of hair growing on the top. I'm assuming this was like an, a hairstyle that they someone had encountered during the Crusades. Right. So they called him the Turk, right? Okay, that, that makes sense. His hair was worn similar to that of the Osaji Kansa and three other... Oh, those are two different tribes. The Os... <laughs> Saji, the Kansa, and three other Plains tribes. Kansas. Oh, okay. Ooh. Maybe they're named after that. Maybe it's named after that tribe. Anyway, the Turk told the Spaniards that far away in the east, there was a rich country called Quivira. He told them about gold, silver, and other precious metals. Uh, and basically, he wanted an opportunity to return to his tribe. Um, and he was like, turquoise and gold is tacky. Now, the Spaniards had found the Mexicans using gold for ornaments, Right. the native Mexicans, using gold for ornaments, and also knew of the reports of wealth from Peru. So when the Turk pointed to gold uh, and seemed to recognize it as valuable, they thought he was being truthful with them. So, I mean, like, it's a shiny metal, right? It's not really hard to... Uh, it's also not very hard. You can kind of, like, use your context clues how people are... Uh, displaying a certain metal to Ooh, realize that it's shiny that it's valuable right yeah so um is that or like the spaniards got there and they're like do you know how like awesome this shit is so basically what i'm trying to say is padilla was with the expedition okay 
which started on May 3rd of a of a year uh, that yet we're again not, another I'm year. not 100% <clears throat> again they met with little opposition as they journeyed eastward at some point the expedition split and 30 horsemen along with Padilla went northward in search of Quivira reaching the Kansas Plains in the later days of June they crossed what is now the richest portion of Oklahoma and the great wheat belt of Kansas for 25 days in the summer, Coronado remained among the grass hut villages of the Quiviran natives. Several men published accounts of their movements and all that they observed. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so Padilla accompanied Coronado back to the Spanish settlement. In the fall of this year, he prepared for the journey on <laughs> foot of more than 1,000 miles and taking with him the needed effects for saying mass with three companions. Uh, their course was more direct than Coronado's first route, beginning in Bernalillo. You're doing great. On the river above present-day Albuquerque, and passing through Picos and the northeast, probably entering Kansas near the southwest corner, and proceeding on to the land of the Quiveras. <laughs> They <laughs> you just sound um, less and less sure every time you say it. <laughs> I, I am. They safely reached their destination and were well received by the tribe. Because uh, they weren't assholes. Coronado had erected a cross at one of the villages. Padilla began his missionary work, but when he decided to leave to work with other tribes, he was killed. Ooh. He became not only the first missionary in the Mississippi Valley, but the first Christian martyr in what is now the United States of America. Ooh. And although the exact place of his death is unknown, there is a monument to Padilla in City Park in Harrington, Kansas. So they don't know where Padilla is buried? They don't know where he was killed. Oh. They know. Trust me, they know where he's buried. I was going to ask because I, I thought we were talking about how this guy didn't decompose. Yeah, we'll get there. It's abundantly clear to a lot of people a few times why he where he's buried. Okay. So Padre Padilla was first buried in this date cannot be right. In the because it would be like two hundred years later. Uh was first buried in the church floor at Isleta, which is the Pueblo we mentioned before where he was working. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, near mm -hmm. the high altar by the presbytery, which as far as I can tell is the sanctuary. Was it premium? burial spot yeah now i say first buried because 19 years later during mass the altar started to shake and strange noises came from the ground <laughs> the corpse of padre padilla burst to the surface what? through the earthen floor oh my god and perhaps most surprisingly his body was intact and supple first of all don't ever say supple again second of all like was it an earthquake? They probably thought it was an act of God. Was it an earthquake? I don't know. Was it just like a really rambunctious tree stomp? I don't know. All I know is this dude came up through the floor, apparently. You don't like the word supple? Not the way you said it. What about nubile? No. Anyway, obviously... Zero an stars. An official... And super scientific investigation immediately convinced. His remains were studied for about two weeks by various experts and church-type people. And he remained supple? In hopes of finding an explanation. The investigation was inconclusive, but witnessed and well-documented. <laughs> but now, he, did, he didn't start decomposing? 
Apparently not. Now, it is very unlikely that his body was put on public display during this time. Well, it would be concerning if he was. Eventually, no, he was put on public. He was. Display. Oh God, I'm so concerned. Eventually, Padre Padilla was reburied. This time, he was buried in a hollowed-out cottonwood tree, and respectfully dressed in the blue habit worn by the Franciscan Order. It was hoped that by thus honoring his remains, they would finally rest in peace. They were wrong. <laughs> Dead wrong. Dead LOL. Wrong. <laughs> Forty years later. In a year that, again, can, cannot be the correct year. In the, a year that I am not quite certain of. The cottonwood coffin containing the remains of Padre Padilla mysteriously, once again, rose from the church floor. Much like last time, his body was allegedly intact and <laughs> flexible. It, the body just rejected him. Or not the body, the ground mm -hmm. rejected him. Right. Like a poorly, like a poor metal in a piercing. Right. So, like last time, his body was uh, intact and flexible. Even his clothing were said to be perfectly preserved. Well, it's not his clothes I'm worried about. It's his supple body. Once again, his body was subjected to an officially rigorous examination of this time period, which I'm sure was... This is like what, them poking him? And public, like... Yeah, in public viewing. <laughs> poke, poke. <laughs> this time around, the story gained more credibility... Obviously, the corpse was quite a bit older, and Padre Padilla was considered to be an incorruptible or sacred corpse. Sacred corpse is how I'd like to be referred to from now on. Thank you. Sacred corpse is uh, how I'm referred to on the internet. The Church of Isleta became the site of a holy pilgrimage, and the rising of the Padre's 63-year-old intact corpse, a miracle. So at this point, he's been dead for 60 years? Yes. And he's been erupted from the ground twice. Yes. Okay. No further questions. It was and still is rumored that his remains are the or that these remains are the remains of the first Christian martyr of the Southwest, the father Padilla who traveled to New Mexico with Coronado in the fifteen hundreds. Can you go visit him now? This seems very unlikely because the church is one of the oldest surviving mission churches in the United States. Uh, it was built in a year, nearly destroyed by the Pueblo Revolt and rebuilt by de Vargas long before Padre Padilla was ever buried there. Okay. Um, uh, I don't think you can see him, but I'm fairly certain this church still exists. Like, you can go to it. But I want to know, can you still see the body? No. No. The New Mexican... Because he decomposed, didn't he? <laughs> well, the... The New Mexican climate was certainly conducive to an accidental mummification, but to be classified as an incorruptible course, corpse, the Padre would have to be flexible, supple, moist, and emit a mysterious but pleasant odor, odor known as the odor of sanctity. But I was going to say, like, you can't... That's the odor be my a... farts make. <laughs> you can't be a mummy and be supple. The two are not the same. Right. There's no... Like, the supple mummies... Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, the famous supple mummies of the punk scene in the 80s. <laughs> um, in fact, it's said that some saints emit the smell of roses or jasmine. Ooh. Others emit the smell of a freshwater spring. Padre Padilla was described as smelling, quote, as the earth freshly watered. Like what? Wet grass? I guess like when it rains, maybe the smell of rain or something. Wet grass. Sure. Smells like a dog. Padre Padilla seemed to fit the requirements of a sacred corpse. Uh, people took bits of his habit, and these pieces of his clothing were said to perform miraculous healing cures. 
Um, by the time the Padre resurfaced again, 76 years later, the story had grown to mythic proportions and the Padre was missing a foot. They took his foot? <laughs> they took his foot. By now, there were no living witnesses to oh the Padre's previous risings, and the story had become a deeply entrenched part of the local folk history. This time, instead of making a grand entrance, Padre Padilla's now 134-year-old corpse was dug up on purpose. Missing a foot. A famous Franciscan French priest uh, who was at the Isleta at the time, Anton Docher, ex exhumated the Padre's remains after many years of strange knocking sounds emanated from the gravesite, which was now covered with a wooden floor. He's like, I'm coming out. Several witnesses had also reported simultaneously seeing an apparition of an 18th century Franciscan friar. Uh, Docher decided to investigate and opened the grave of Padre Padilla. As he was doing so, he injured his arm and contracted gangrene. Jeez. So severe that doctors recommended amputation. Let me guess. He doesn't amputate. He does not amputate. The natives believed it was the curse of Padre Padilla inflicted on Docher for disturbing his grave. Now he's got a curse? Docher said a prayer asking Padre Padilla for intercession and the wound was allegedly healed. Uh, <laughs> I bet the no. curse started when they took his foot. Yeah, bet. He's, He's like, you who took my foot? Return the foot. So Padre Padilla's remains were immediately reburied following Docher's investigation. But he rose several more times before the church decided to install a cement floor in the 1960s. So he supposedly, is he underneath the cement floor? Yes. Can't hear him knocking under there. The strange noises, the altar shaking, apparitions, miracle cures, and the incorruptibility of the body have never been satisfactorily explained. Oh my God, and we're all so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> or officially pronounced a miracle, but there is little doubt in the hearts of New Mexicans. Uh, when Docher, known as the Padre of Isleta, died in 1928, he was buried next to Padre Padilla near the high altar at the Pueblo of Isleta 172 years later after Padre Padilla was buried for the first time. I love that. So, yeah. Return the foot. This would suggest that he rose the two times before, then he was dug up on purpose, and then he rose several more times, and they were like, dude, we got to pave this fucking floor. He was like, rejected by the earth twice, dug <laughs> up on purpose, had his foot taken, they put him back in the ground, they dug him up again, mm -hmm. then they buried him again, put a stone slab on top of him, and then he was finally able to like rest in peace. Yep. Yeah, so that's my whole episode. No, that's good. That's <laughs> Told you it was going to be short. That's fine. Um, I have learned to check dates. Uh, yeah, you didn't seem very... Um, well, here's the thing. Real sure of any of them. A lot of them I'm fairly certain were accurate because it happened in the 16th century, so the 1500s. Right, you know, right, right, right. But I made a typo starting off, apparently. <laughs> I made a typo in my first paragraph and it because it says that he was a Laguna Pueblo missionary who was stabbed to death by unknown assailants in the mid-1700s. 1700s is not the, the 1500s. It is not. Um, fun fact. And in fact, the 1700s wouldn't make any sense because 
there were mad colonies by the 1700s. Were there mad colonies in the 1700s? Well, we became a country in 1775. So, I mean... 1776. 1776. 1776. Oh, you know what? Uh, it's the Navy's <laughs> birthday is in 1775. My bad. I think I'm right. I'm pretty sure you're right. Uh, July 4th, 1776. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 76. Ooh, But it's the Navy's yeah. birthday I was thinking of. I'm so smart. Which is 1775. I'm pretty sure it's in October. October 13th, 1775. So you know the Navy's birthday, but not America's? Navy's more important. I just always thought it was weird that the, the Navy's been around longer than America. Also, the Marine Corps, November 10th, 1775. Not as old as the Navy. I'm just saying. Is it the Marine Corps is like um, the Navy's little brother? They're like a department of the Navy. So that's all I got. You should, um, there's like a thing like living mummies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to look it up. I have no idea. But like monks will stop eating or they only survive off of crackers like three crackers a day or something yeah and they do that for like 40 something days and they get real skinny and all they do is meditate for uh, that's all they do okay and eventually they'll die but you never really know when that happens because all they do is meditate and they look like a mummy so they're just people just assume they're like living forever in meditation yeah okay I'll have to look it up. I sound so stupid right now, but it's a thing. I swear. Uh, And let it be known that I knew one thing. It is to be known that I also know another. So you know things is that that's the moral of the story was that I knew one thing. America's birthday. I know about mummies and monks that like to beat them. You also knew about that other thing that I've edited out of podcast right 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 i knew and i'm gonna put i'm gonna say that so people listening are like what are they talking about what (laughs) i was gonna say it again but i will not with the air of mysteriousness we'll see maybe i'll keep it in (laughs) just felt real stupid i my brain is like fucking atrophy um anyway where can you find our podcast our oddpodpodcast.com. You can also find us at linktr.ee slash OOPP. Who does our intro and outro music? If you enjoy our intro and outro music, you can find it at darrencurtismusic.com. And uh, I think that's it. That's it. As always, we, we are, are the, the Boneses, Boneses and, and we are out. out.